What's up, Church on the Trail family? We are thrilled that you have joined us today. If this is your first time here, welcome. We are honored that you have chosen to spend Sunday with us. We have several exciting events coming up at Church on the Trail that we want to share with you. On July 7th at 6 p.m., the 412 Student Ministry will have a cookout. You can find the address on our church website under our events page or in the worship guide. If you have any questions about this night, you can email Stephen Fortenberry. We hope to see you there. Our first ever BBS is coming up fast. Come join us as we take your kids on an epic adventure that explores God's goodness. The dates for this event are July 10th through 12th, and this takes place in the evenings from 6 to 8.30 p.m. And it's available for kids that are in the ages of 4 to 11. Now your child must be 4 on the day of registration. No sneaking no 3-year-olds in. You can register your child at Church on the Trail slash events and hurry up. The deadline is looming. Make sure you fill out one registration form per child. There will also be a volunteer meeting for this week on July 7th at 6 p.m. For any additional information about BBS or the meeting, you can contact Allison Judith. July 13th through 21st is the Columbus Mission Trip. Come join us as we partner with multiple organizations and serve our community. You can visit our church website under the events page to see how you can volunteer. If you would like more information, you can visit us out in the lobby at our Missions Corner. If you have made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life, taking the God plunge, that's what we call baptism around here, that's the next step. Our next baptism is on July 21st, and there will be a kids' God plunge party on July 28th. Visit the Connections desk for more information. Again, welcome to Church on the Trail, where we love the Lord, and there's no perfect people allowed. All right, isn't that cool? Welcome everybody. Thank you guys for being here. Today we are starting a brand new series of messages called Relationships by the Book. And uh, can you guess what book we're referring to in the by the book part? Anybody? That's not a rhetorical question. That's an actual question. By the Word of God, by the Scriptures, by the Bible. So we're going to be talking about relationships in light of what Scripture teaches us about healthy relationships. So, a quick question. How many of you are in a relationship? Facebook official in a relationship? Just kidding about the Facebook official part. It was kind of a baiting question. The reason is, is because when, you, when someone asks you, are you in a relationship, the first thing that comes to our mind is, am I single or am I dating, engaged, or married? Honestly, that's what most of us think. You, 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 when you've got a friend that's single... And then on social media, they say they're in a relationship. You're like, whoa, when did that happen? And then you start, you know, judging people. So that's how it works, right? Most people think, am I in a relationship? Am I dating? Am I engaged? Am I married or not? That is not what we're talking about here. Do you realize that every single one of us is in a relationship? Regardless of your romantic status. If you are connected to any other human being, you're in a relationship. Actually, we're in multiple, many, hundreds and hundreds of relationships. Even if you don't have family, even if you don't like people, even if you've sworn off dating or ever getting married or getting married again, do you work? Do you 
buy and sell? Do you interact with human beings? You're in a relationship. Are you a citizen of these United, great United States of America? Whose birthing we celebrate in just a few days. We are in a relationship. We're all connected. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to talk about relationships and we're going to try to gain and glean wisdom from the scriptures about how we can we can uh, really hopefully access the miracle power of God into our relationships. See, uh, we're all in relationships, and, and here's the other thing about relationships, and I'm kind of just kind of setting you guys up, putting out a, a few disclaimers there. Something that's very important to remember when we're in relationships, we talk about this in our Thursday night men's meeting, Trailblazers, shameless plug, every Thursday night that's not our nation's birthday, uh, on Thursday nights we gather at 6.30 here, and, and we, 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 like, we, we got this one phrase we say in our men's Trailblazers meeting. And it is, keep in mind, none of us are normal. Right? We're all strange. Are we not? You guys are looking at me like, well, I'm not strange. Oh, you may be the most strange if you're a denier. None of us are normal. And so we've all got a little bit of weirdness in our lives. And the weirdness about us affects how we relate to the people in our lives the people who are close family members, the people we're romantically involved with, or the people that we interact with at a much more distant or shallow level. Our weirdness affects our relationships. We're all crazy. Are we not? Honestly? In fact, I believe that when people start dating, one of the first questions they should be required to ask of each other is, what kind of crazy are you? And then they exchange craziness stories. And then as a dating relationship develops, then they have two main challenges. Number one, see if their craziness is compatible. And number two, controlling their hormones until they get married. Speaking of hormones, which how often does a sentence start with that in church? But speaking of hormones, uh, just so you know, there's a portion of this message today. That, it, that will be rated PG-13. So if you have your children with you, I just want to give you fair warning. And if you are a uh, young adult or a teenager sitting with your parents, be warned, you're going to be grossed out. I, it, you know, it's not going to be crude. It's just going to make everybody super uncomfortable for a few minutes. But it's later and you don't know when it's coming. So, you know, you just... It's going to be cool. Don't, don't panic. It'll be fine. But in our relationships, uh, we need help. We need guidance. We need wisdom. We need healing. You see, the relationships in our lives are the source of the greatest joys that we have. I mean, some of the best parts of our life and the best parts of our world come from the people that we're connected with. However, it's also true that the greatest pain that we ever experience at different times in our lives, our greatest damage that is done to us is done through relationships. So a lot of our hurt, a lot of our, the majority of our joy and the majority of our pain 
has come from the relationships that we're in. So it's good to kind of put that out there and recognize this is why that truth alone, and I think you guys agree with me that that, that's a good assessment, that is why it is super important that in the house of God, in the community of faith, that we make space and time to talk about relationships, to talk about what does God have to say about these relationships. I think that uh, if you can, do everything, I mean, just do everything you can to be a part of these next few discussions on Sunday mornings. Don't miss out, because I think we're going we're gonna to find stuff that ends up being super helpful to us. Um, we are all shaped. Our life, the way your life is right now, and I don't know how you might describe your life. You might have... You might give your life a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a kind of a eh. Or there's probably about 40, 11 categories of your life, and you could grade each of those. But however your life looks and feels and is playing out right now, do you know what the major number one contributor to how your life has turned out has been? It's been the relationships in our, in our current life and in our past. Relationships have shaped us. We are who we are because of the relationships in our lives. And that's for good, and that's for, uh, it's for, it's for good, bad, and ugly. And so we're going to take time to look at it. Okay, so then the question would be, so if my relationships have shaped me up to this point, and then if I've got some difficult relationships now, is there any hope for me? The good news is, yes, there's hope for all of us. Because every relationship you're in, every relationship I am in, has the potential to be healthy, to be a blessing. It's, it has the potential to bring, bring joy and encouragement and mojo into my life and into the life of others. Every relationship in your life has the potential to do damage to the kingdom of darkness and to stop doing damage to each other. So that's our goal over these next few weeks, is that we will talk about relationships. And we're going to start today by talking about men, dudes, guys, gentlemen, fellas, us, us guys. We're going to talk about guys. Um, so I want to let you know that if you are connected to a male human being in any way, shape, or form, this conversation, I believe, will be helpful for you today. Okay, so we're not just talking about romantically connected, although we're going to talk about that some, i.e. the hint I gave you a moment ago. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But if you are related in any other way, be it through family, whether you're a fa you have a dad, whether you have a son, you are a father, you are a son, whether you work around guys, whether you have brothers, cousins, whatever the case, maybe you serve on a ministry team here at Church on the Trail with, with other guys or with men. Listen, if you'll just kind of perk your ears up, maybe you'll hear something that's helpful. And gentlemen, I think if we'll open our minds a little bit, we might hear something that will help us to even understand 
ourselves a little bit better. So, we're going to talk about what guys want. That is the title of the message. What guys want. And I know what you're thinking. You think you're pretty sure you know what guys want. You know, because it's kind of a short list. But here's the thing. I am going to share with you to start off a, a list of five things that, uh, that all guys want. And these are not the obvious ones, all right? These are not the ones that you're thinking about. But I just want to share this with you because I found this to be true in my life, in the life of all my uh, family, guys, and my friends. Are you guys ready for this? This will be life-altering. Or not, I don't know. But it'll be, it, it, we might get a laugh out of it. Num- one thing that guys want is to be able to watch the game in peace. And when I say in peace, what I mean is to be able to get so angry that I throw things and tweet derogatory stuff about mem- uh, fans of my rivals. That's peace when it comes to watching a game. Well, guys want tools that don't disappear magically into thin air. How does that even happen? All guys want their team to win one more championship in their lifetime. It doesn't matter if they've won 17, which is not enough. We just want, or maybe just the first one. I don't know. It just You know who you are. All right. All guys want for all the other motorists to stop driving like idiots. Can we just talk about that for a little while? No, we don't have time. The last thing, probably maybe the most important thing that guys, all guys want, simply stated, the remote. We want the remote. So we're going to talk about what guys want. A disclaimer. As we discuss this, you might find yourself, if you're a gentleman here in the house today, you might listen to some of that, the stuff I'm going to say, and you go like, I, I don't see it. That's, that, that may not really be me. You know, you, maybe I'm going to say some things that you can't relate to. No big deal. Don't panic. Remember, none of us are normal. We all have our different expressions of how things work, right? Uh, so you might not find this. Every single thing that we say applies to you. Another disclaimer is... You might be a, uh, a woman, a lady, young lady in the, in the crowd, and you go, wait a second, that's, I'm kind of about that. You might see some things that we, some traits and some motivations and some, so, some ways guys function, and you go, oh, that's, I'm kind of like that as well. That's cool too. You know, there's no, no perfect diagram of how this works out. We're just going to talk in some generalities that reach and stretch and help describe Generally speaking, what a lot of guys are about and what we're motivated by. So just keep that in mind as we go. The first uh, verse I want to show you, I want to take you all the way back in the scriptural account to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where it describes where uh, something that, that God did. It says in verse 15 that the Lord God... Uh, placed the man in and put him in the garden, or took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. All right? So this is the first description of a dude and what a dude was supposed to do. All right? Now, that means 
that that task and that mission that was given to the very first man finds its way and expresses, it, expresses itself in the life of every man. That guys are, generally speaking, created to and tasked with and sent on mission to work and take care of things. It's kind of who we are. A lot of us, whether you, you may not be a guy, maybe you're a lady, and, and you say, wow, that describes my life. I work and I take care of things. You know, one, one of the things I take care of? This man, you know. So again, that, I understand that's our reality. But you just need to know that from the very beginning, God put that mission on men. He said, this is your responsibility, and I want you to work and take care of things. That is why when a man... And I don't know if you guys can relate to this. A lot of us have been in this. When a man is literally out of work, like between jobs, drives us crazy. Now it probably drives most of us crazy, whether you're a man or not. But there's a thing down deep at our core that it doesn't just mean, wow, I don't have a job or I'm still looking for a job and so the money is tight. There's a thing that speaks to, when a guy is out of work, it speaks to his value. He starts to question his value, I've done that, I've been in that situation. I'm like, what am I even worth if I'm not working? And, I, and that's a bad conclusion to come to because our worth ultimately isn't found in what we do. However, because that's a core thing in guys, it's something we have to deal with when our professional life gets dicey. And so if you are dating or married to or know a man who is okay with being out of work... There's something wrong there. There's something that's not right about that, okay? Don't want to bum you out. Don't panic, there's hope. But you need to be able to recognize that's not the way things should be. A man wants to work. A man wants to take care of things as most responsible adults want to do. But it's a core thing in the male, in the male gender. And so it is poured into the foundation of maleness to be responsible for and to take care of things and to achieve. And so even at a very young age, this begins to express itself in the desire to have success at something, to be good at something, to build things or to break things and put them back together or just to watch things explode. I don't know, but there's this thing in men, even at a young age, where we want to build, we want to achieve, we want to accomplish something. And over the years of our lives, as the stages of our lives change, and the scenarios change, and, and, uh, and the risk gets a little higher, and what's at stake is, is a lot bigger of a deal, this becomes, this expresses itself over and over again through the cycles of our lives. That we feel a responsibility and a burden, and it's a it's a good burden. It's an appropriate burden that we feel responsible to take care of things, to do, to work. And it expresses itself from the young age and all the different ways that plays out all the way through our adult lives. It, exp it finds expression in a question that all men, all boys, all guys ask themselves. It's the, that's what I like to call the Man's biggest question. And the question is, do I have what it takes? 
It's in the heart of a man to find out, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do what? Do I have what it takes to be a success? Do I have what it takes to achieve something? Do I have what it takes to be able to be responsible for something and, and for a group of people? Do I have what it takes to make a difference, to matter? Do I have what it takes to just make it in life? And sometimes we have different definitions of what it means to quote-unquote make it. But it's a question that is in the core of every man and every boy. And it is designed by God for that question to be answered by other men in his life, by, by his father. By, by other godly men, by other people in, in the life of faith. But if a man goes through stages of his life, and a young man or a boy goes through stages of his life where nobody answers that question for him, he's going to start finding his answer. That's how it works. We're driven for that. And, it is, and that expresses itself in a lot of decisions that are made that some of us end up tagging or defining these decisions as, oh, well, boys will be boys. Or that guy's not very bright. Or he keeps making these stupid decisions. Or he keeps cycling through the wrong stuff. You know what's probably at work is not just what we see on the surface, but a core question. Do I have what it takes? And that question may not have been answered in a healthy way by healthy people. So these might be the things that are churning just below the surface in the lives of the men and the brothers and the fathers and sons and the husbands and, and, and cousins and, and co-workers in our lives. So it's really helpful. And it makes us really wise and it can make us really sensitive and it can make us smart decision makers if we realize that a lot more is going on in the life and the mind of a man than just food, sports, and sex. Now those three things are really up there in our minds. I just want to be clear about that, okay? Don't want there to be any confusion. Don't want to act like those three things are not important to us. Are we clear? All right, good. But there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. And, that's, and a lot of it is driven by that question. The search for the answer to that question brings us to a an idea and a point that I would like to, to call a man's primary or a man's biggest desire. A man's biggest desire is to be respected. A man's biggest desire to be respected because if a man's respected, then in to some degree and in some shading or level, he's able to say, I, he's able to answer his what, do I have what it takes question. If he finds respect in the eyes of others. This is found even in scripture. In this cool passage in Ephesians chapter 5 later in the year. We're going to do a really great uh, series of teachings on Sunday mornings. On the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. One of the coolest writings in all of the Bible. And in one slice of the book of Ephesians. Paul is talking about marriage. And he's talking about men and women. And there's this one verse that's that's a part of a bigger conversation but this can give us just a little snapshot that will connect to what we're trying to talk about today in verse 33 of ephesians chapter 5 
Paul says, he says, however, let each of one, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, in the context of the conversation, he has just talked about some of the most important stuff on the planet. And that is how we understand how Jesus Christ himself relates to his followers. And he says it's like a, a husband and a wife. Jesus being the husband and his followers being the wife. It's Lord of an allegory, right? And that is just in the context of that, he says, and it's not just this throwaway, okay, why... You know, husbands, be nice to your wives. Love on them a little bit. And uh, ladies, you know, prop up your husbands. Give them a little respect. No, he's talking in this context of this great, important realization about Christ and his followers. He says, a man should love his wife as much as he loves himself. And a wife should see to it that she respects her husband. Respect is a major drive in the heart of a man because it helps him to answer the question, do I have what it takes? Now, when I say the word respect, more to the point, when I spell the word respect, who, what person comes to your mind? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Aretha, the queen of soul. Do you know that she, oh, obviously, she brought that song like nobody ever has. But do you know she did not write that song? Do you know who wrote that song? A gentleman named Otis Redding. A dude. Said, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me, please. <laughs> and if Otis Redding doesn't get respect, then he's going to end up sitting on the dock of the bay. Anybody? <laughs> see? You like? You see what I did there? Thank you. Appreciate you coming. Have a good week. Go out on a high note. Seinfeld reference. For the win. All right. So, that's, so Otis Redding gets it. And that, I think it would be helpful if we could get that. Is that we understand that respect is the driving force in the life of a man. Now, here's the problem that all of us, whether we are a father or a son to a man, whether we're married to a man, whether you're uh, working in a working relationship, a friend with another guy, and yet now you know that the respect is not just an ego feeding, you know, give me my props kind of thing, but it's really a core deal. The problem becomes is what if I'm in a relationship with a guy and connected to a guy who, I don't, I'm not so sure he deserves respect. Based on his behavior, based on his actions, what do I do? That's kind of a bad situation, right? That's, it poses a, this question, kind of brings up the debate. Is, is respect to be given unconditionally? I don't know. People have different opinions on that. People have different opinions on what the Scriptures teach us about respect. But here's what I believe, and if you disagree with me, it's okay. You've been wrong before. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I may be wrong. But here's the thing. Here's what I believe. I believe that there is a measure of respect that every human being does deserve. And it's because about, it's because that, that, I come to that conclusion because of what I believe about God. And I believe that God is our creator. And because God is our creator, we are his creation. Every human being is his creation. Even the worst of us, even the worst of the human race who have done the worst things 
and squandered every bit of respect that people tried to give to them. I believe that as a creation, you've got to understand that when God created everything, when God created the heavens and the earth, this is what we believe, that um, every time he got done at the end of one day creating stuff, he said, it is good. He's like, it's good. You know, I did good. And then when he created human beings, he didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. So when God creates a human being, it's very, very, very good. Problem is, of course, that those very first human beings that he created and said, ooh, this is very good, they messed up really bad. They chose sin, and so the entire human race was plunged into sin as our default and as our natural state. And so sin has sullied what God created as very good. But in the beginning, at the moment, God wanted humans to populate this planet, among, of course, plant life, uh, uh, animals and sea creatures. But he wanted humans to populate this planet because he had a plan. And sin has messed up the plan. So everybody deserves at least, hey, God created you. So, so where do, how do we deal with if we're in a relationship with someone that's, that doesn't live respectfully? So do they deserve respect? Well, here's what I think. I believe we should start with respect. I know layers of respect will be earned and gained over time as a relationship grows or maybe a relationship heals. Or maybe as we just distance ourselves from toxic people with whom we can't function well anymore. And respect can grow over time, but I think we've got to start somewhere. We have to start with respect. So I believe each of us, with, with whomever we are in relationship with, should look at a man and say, this is the man, this is his name, and this is what I respect about him. And on a separate sheet of paper, you can write down all the stuff that you hate about this person. But we should write down, this is where I can give respect to that person. You've got to start with respect. You've got to start with somewhere. You've got to start, you've got to find something that can be honored. Back in uh, uh, late 2010, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama. I got divorced earlier that year. I got divorced in 2010 because of because of problems in my life, my own sin, my own mistakes, and, and the pain I inflicted on people, on my ex-wife, I caused the end of my marriage. And so I was a few months into this divorce life, and I was having a hard time talking on the phone with a friend who lived in Chicago. This guy was, of course, now an adult, but he was... Because see, back in my, back in the day, I was a uh, occupational minister. I was a, I was a minister. It was my job. I went to college for that, and I spent decades, you know, as a, you know, as my occupation. So back in the '90s, when I had a mullet, I was a youth pastor, and this guy was in my youth group, and he was a great guy. His name's Heath, and um, we stayed in touch over the years. And of course, he found out what had happened. So I'm talking on the phone, walking around my parents' yard. Because I had now lived with my parents as a 40-something-year-old man, live in a little apartment above their garage. So I'm talking to Heath on the phone. This is the guy I used to teach Sunday school to. This is the guy that I, try, I used to counsel and give him advice, give him relationship advice about girls that he was dating. And here I am, 
walking around Tarrant, Alabama, saying, yeah, I'm working at a Chick-fil-A, and, you know, and I didn't feel like I had anything to offer the world, and Heath told me something that at the time I didn't believe. He said, Richard, thank you for sharing your story, telling me the truth about what was going on, and, what, and he said, I want you to know that I still respect you. And I listened to that, and I said, I, I don't think... I don't think he really... I, that can't be true. Can that really be true? I don't, because I don't deserve respect based on what I've done with my life. And he said, I respect you. And I, I just... I didn't really believe it, but I never forgot it. And so I'm just telling you, start with respect. Find something that you can honor a person for and see what it does to release that person's true self out and maybe start the healing for that person. So, I want to real quick run down a few things and then we're going to wrap this up, okay? I want to share with you just insights into dudeness that uh, might be helpful to you. I'm going to share with you uh, a man's greatest needs, all right? A man's greatest needs. We magically, yep, there you go. A man's greatest needs. First off, to be heard. Now, you might not, if you were to ask the guys in your life, they might say, oh, I don't know, whatever. You know, they might not own up to this, but this is true, okay? A man's, one of the man's greatest needs is to be heard, to, to feel like he has a voice, to feel like he, he matters. And, and gentlemen, I will just give you, throw out some advice. Something I've learned in the last 10 years of my crazy life is that if I'm going to be heard, I'm probably going to need to develop a new vocabulary. I might need to learn a new language. And it's the language of, this is a topic dudes love, the language of my feelings. Aren't you so glad you came here today? Some awesome conversations after lunch. You're welcome. But we need to learn a language. We need to be able to say to God in our prayer life, and we need to be able to say to the people close to us what's really going on in this crazy Mixed up mind of ours. And most of us as men don't have a real developed uh, mental and emotional vocabulary. It's hard for us unless we're a poet or something like that or songwriter. You know, how do we we express the thing and the thoughts and the ideas and the feelings and the fears and the weirdness in our lives to the people that are close to us that we can trust to share this stuff with? It's hard to do. So I would just encourage you, gentlemen, there is hope for us. There is hope. It will take a while, but we can learn a language. There's a great, uh, a great passage in, in, in Psalm chapter 40 where David, uh, the king David, you know, guy killed Goliath and he became king of Israel and he was a songwriter and he, he said, Lord, I pour out my complaint to you. That doesn't sound very spiritual, but David was very good at expressing to God how upset or bothered he was about stuff. And so now it's inspired hundreds and centuries and centuries and centuries of people of faith to be able to do the same thing. Now let me, let me ask you, what if David was like me? And all he could say when he wrote, sat down to write that song, God, I'm bummed. There it is. Beautiful. Put it to music. Print it. I'm glad he was able to say, God, it feels like 
It feels like I'm drowning here. It feels like I'm barely keeping my head above water. I feel the pressure. It's like being hunted by dogs and wolves. And that's the way of the pressures and worries and fears of my life. And I'm like, dude, I wish I had that kind of language and that vocabulary. So I started, you know, probably about seven or eight years ago trying to, to learn this language and vocabulary thing. And I'm getting there. And so I started writing stuff down. And I would say, and this sounds so cheesy. Just stay with me. Can you guys stay with me for a second? I would, I would start and I would write down, put the date have a little notebook or a journal or something. Put the date and say, Lord, this morning I feel... And then I do my best to write it down. And some mornings I don't have anything else but mad or sad or whatever. But some days when I start writing, I start being able to voice. I start giving voice to what's really going on in my heart. Now here's the reason why that's important. To develop that vocabulary means... Gentlemen, if we can develop that, then we're going to be heard. We're going to be heard. We're going to have a voice. And then when we need to speak about stuff that doesn't necessarily connect with the bad, sad, weird things in our lives, but we need to be able to step out and lead. We need to be able to step out and declare something that's going to help the people in our family or the people around us. We will be heard. We will be heard. And people won't disregard us. Those that do... Let them. But we know we have a voice with the people around us. So one of the man's greatest needs is to be heard. Next one I want to talk about, a great need of a man is to be forgiven. A man needs to know he has been forgiven. This is, uh, this is a really big deal, of course. Um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I'm going to make a statement. All of my relationships, every relationship that I have now or have ever had, all of them, have been damaged by something stupid I did. Gentlemen, are you with me? Can you, can you nod? It'll, nod, it'll score points with your wife. Serious. Every relationship that I'm in now, or have ever had, have been damaged by my sin, by, by, by my foolishness. All my relationships have been affected by what I've done. And if I don't believe that I can be forgiven for that stuff, I am going to be... There will be all kind of barriers that I put up in my life. If you consider your life to be a road trip, like a journey, and then there are some exits that are closed. You ever gone on the interstate and the exit's closed or a whole lane is shut down or they take you off the interstate and you have to drive through podunk mississippi to get somewhere that's that i hate that right but in our lives we put up barriers sometimes and we say and we do this in relationships and we say i'm i'll not go farther in this relationship than right here it's usually because we've been burned before you remember we said we've been shaped by all of our relationships and we say, I can't go any further because I've been burned before. I'm not going any further. I won't give that much of my heart anymore. I'm going to protect. I'm not going to be stupid and experience the exact same pain that I've experienced before. And we put up these roadblocks. And if I can't believe that I personally can be forgiven, I'm also going to put up roadblocks there. I'm going to say, I can't let people close to me. Because what if they get close and I do it again? What if I mess up again? 
So now I'm all twisted up in my mind and I need to call Dr. Phil at this point. This is the way our, the terrain of our lives and the, and the map of our road trip gets so messed up is all these barriers and roadblocks. We need to know that we've been forgiven. I want to show you a really cool scripture in Isaiah chapter 57. And it says, this is God speaking. He's talking about a guy, a man who has messed up and has been a... Uh, prodigal. He's been a backslider, whatever you want to call it. And he says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him, and I will restore comfort to him. That is a promise. We sang a song earlier today about the God of the promise. That's a promise. God will forgive us. Now, there may be people in your life who never forgive you. We need to make peace with that. We need to be able to deal with that. This is our reality. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we mess up stuff, and people can't ever get over it. We just got to deal with that. Sometimes we mess up stuff and it's never put back right again. And we have consequences and just reality that we have to deal with. That's life. But if in your heart you know you can be forgiven and healed, that changes everything, right? That changes everything. Now, I messed up and I didn't finish. There's a second half of this passage and I forgot to put it on a slide. Can I read the rest of it to you? It says, I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. And to his mourners. And to his mourners. I will also restore comfort to the people who are mourning because of what this guy did. Or because of what happened to him. And I will bring a word of praise to their lips. And they will have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. That is our hope. That's an ironclad promise. If we come in faith toward God, He will restore us, forgive us, and heal us. And He knows everything. He knows everything we've done. Isn't that mind-blowing? A man's great need is to be forgiven. There's hope for us. The last one I'll mention is a man's great need is to have help. Now, you might laugh if you're married to a man who never believes he needs help. All right? And it's okay to elbow at this time if you need to. If he never wants to ask for directions, if he never wants to read the instructions before putting stuff together, whatever the case may be, you might think, yeah, Richard, you're wrong. No, a man has a great deep need and a desire to actually believe that he's not in this fight alone, that he's not walking through life alone. There's a cool verse in Ecclesiastes, this Old Testament passage, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and it says, two are better off, two people are better off than one. For if they, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Men, we can't do life alone. We can't do life alone. We need the people in our lives. We need our families. We need our, our wives if we marry. We need our, our parents if we're, if, if we're still at home. We need the people in our life to walk alongside of us. And gentlemen... If you're a man of faith, and if you're an adult, you've got family, you've got wife, kids, and everything, you need other brothers. You need other men of faith walking this walk with you. We can't do this life alone. Man needs to know that he has help, that he's not off by himself. All right, so here's the punchline. We're going to wrap this up. I'm going I'm to talk for a moment about uh, husbands and wives real quick. If you are married, 
and you find some of the stuff we're talking about sort of, wow, I, I, I see some of those realities. I deal with that. Let me encourage you. What, happen, what, what happens to bring change into a marriage is when each, indiv- each individual decides that they personally need change. And so my encouragement to all of us who are married here today is say, God, change me. Heal me. Forgive me. Give me a voice. Give me the help that I need. And I just want to throw out some help to you. I just want to say a couple of things. And I'm going to tell you straight up. Counseling is not a dirty word. All right? It's not an embarrassing word. It's not a shameful word. We all need counseling. All right? You may not agree with me on that, but that's straight up true. If you need help, get help with your personal stuff and with your marriage stuff. Get help. Get it. And I'm not a marriage counselor nor the son of a marriage counselor, but I tell you what, I know some good marriage counselors. We can help hook you up. No couple should do this alone. No couple should have to do this alone. We don't need counseling. Maybe that's true. But when you do, and notice I don't say if you ever do, I'm saying when you do, get help. And the, ne- the next advice I'm going to give you, and it's a shameless plug for a church on the trail deal. If you're married and you have kids, well, first off, if you're married, you need to go on a date night regularly. And if you have kids and they're your excuse for not going on a date night, you need to bring your kids to parents' night out. You think I'm just plugging a thing and an, an, an event where the teenagers watch your kids, and there's tons of adults there too. Don't panic. Your kids aren't going to be swinging from the rafters. It's all going to be good. They're going to be taken care of. But you need to send your, you need to drop your kids off for this killer babysitting rate, and you need to go out on a date. And I understand the date might involve grocery shopping. That's cool. If your date is Walmart, go on a date. But it's just the two of you and all the other crazy people in Walmart. It'll be fine. It'll be a builder. It'll build. Your relationship, make the time. You have to commit to make the time. Now, still on the marriage thing, or still, this relates to, to wives as you relate to your husbands, and this relates to any of us who are connected to a guy in a relationship of any shape or form. When you hear what a guy needs, what a guy wants, guess what is not the proper response? It doesn't mean that it's on you now to make sure that guy has all of those things. It's not. You can help, and you can be wise, and you can participate, and you do have a role to play according to Scripture, and you can contribute to meeting the needs of this guy in your life. And that's a good thing. But it, th- there is a source question at play here. The source question is this guys are asking where am I going to get what I need where am I going to get what I need and what I want and so it's a source question ladies moms, dads, sisters, brothers cousins, co-workers, friends I promise you it's not all on you to make sure this guy gets everything he needs gentlemen it's on us it's on us Look, it drives me nuts. Crazy. I, I, I work with guys 
who had the same kind of problems I had that led to the end of my marriage. I, 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 my, my addiction to lust and pornography torpedoed my marriage. And I learned over the, the healing journey of my last 10 years that God can use my story to help other guys. You know what drives me crazy? You know what I hate in addition to the Washington Redskins? I hate... I hate when a guy says, I've got a lust problem. I've got a porn problem. And he says it's his wife's fault. That is baloney. I didn't say the...